Hi, this is the Fangirls Podcast with Jess and Danny. I'm Jess. And I'm Danny. And we're here to claim back our power as fangirls with one scream at a time. Let me hear you fangirl. our very first podcast Woo! <laughs> it's very exciting it's very nerve-wracking uh, we may have had a couple of go at these already um, so we want to get this right for you guys so our podcast is all about looking at women the exploration of women of fangirls especially within popular culture coming from our own experiences as well but things that we've taken from research things that we're finding from online communities um, and we're really trying to investigate fangirls cultural power in our society and how they may or may not be exploited by bigger roles of power within culture but let's move into where fangirl started then so this really comes down to you danny and launching things in gear for us yeah so i think this journey started around about 18 months ago yeah um really the catalyst to it was listening to an interview with josh franceschi from you me at six and i absolutely love you me at six like i am a Sixer, I am a <laughs> fangirl. That's right. That's the name for us. Um, there was a time where that was in my all my bios. Love um, it. But I was listening to um, a interview that Josh was given about the ten year anniversary of their third album, Sinners mm-hmm. Never Sleep. And I loved listening about the recording process, sort of how the band were doing at that time, and really what that album did for them as a band and how it sort of pushed them further um, and they became more well-known. But one thing that really struck me during that interview was that Josh said the line, um, we weren't just seen as a cute band for girls anymore, talking about how the album had sort of changed perceptions within the industry. Mm -hmm. And... I actually felt really hurt by that, which I know seems like a silly thing to say. I understand that that wasn't wasn't personal, but what it did was make me think, wait, but I'm a girl and I love your band. Mm. And what's wrong with being a band for girls? And that sort of set something off in me where I just wanted to explore it further um where i started having a lot of conversations with other industry friends and discussing some of these i don't know these kind of mixed feelings that i had around it and this is absolutely no shade to yumi at six or josh um i do absolutely love yumi at six like i they are the band for me they they really are but there was an emotional reaction to that and I think I should also point out that my background um, and certainly as a lecturer has been to research and examine the barriers and perceptions to women working in the music industry Mm -hmm. so for me looking at it or hearing it and sort of processing it with a feminist lens I felt like there was what he was saying on the surface is you know 
fine, um, understandable, maybe, um, given how we think about fangirls and how we think about women in music. Yeah. But actually, it was speaking to a much larger power imbalance. And I think to hear it from someone who I really admire, someone whose music has literally been the soundtrack to my life, it sort of felt like, that's it. That's the thing I think I've been fighting. Those are the things that I've been trying to sort of research further and look into. Um, And so from that, I know I had a few conversations with you about this idea of like, why is it not okay to be a band for girls? Like, what's so wrong with yeah. girls? Um, and what kind of struck me is that Yumi at Six are not the only band that have said things like that. Mm. Um, they are other bands, um, Five Sex of Summer, quite recently. Yeah. Um, just... And I don't think it's even like, they don't even need to necessarily say that. Just purely the treatment of fangirls and the groupie and things like that just speaks volumes for itself about how women are perceived as consumers how they're very much devalued um how we want to depend on them for their money and their support but we don't necessarily want to talk about that or rely on them too much or openly say that we care for that support and that yeah absolutely which is which is one of the things that really frustrated me, I guess, because the first two albums, were they okay with being a cute band for mm. girls? And was it just as they moved into more of a heavier sounding material that suddenly it wasn't okay? Yeah. And I would suspect that there's a lot of messages within industry as well about the role of masculinity and what they had to be seen as yeah, absolutely. within that genre. I definitely remember, like, I was on a completely different side of that scene to you like I was not into Yumi at Six, Bring the Horizon like a lot of the emo bands I think the closest I got to them was Paramore Um, and I was just like no I'm into metal right okay (laughs) I'm into metal I don't listen yeah and like it definitely (laughs) came from very much like an internalised misogyny yeah an internalised misogynist perspective because I was like these bands are for girls yeah I'm not a girl I am a girl (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a girl I'm a real metalhead I'm not even I'm not a real metalhead whatever that really means uh, yeah I I have no idea what that actually means but I was so determined to be like I will not listen to them because I don't want to be associated with being over feminine and therefore have my music taste questioned. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that as well because when I was first introduced to Yumi at Six, which, and it was when their first album came out, I actually think um, the first time I heard Save It For The Bedroom, it was playing on maybe like Kerrang! TV or something. It was the music video that was on in the house. And I remember it being so catchy and I loved it so much. Mm. And everyone else around me, it, they were like, oh, I'm t- you know too cool for this sort of thing. <laughs> and it was both men and women, really. But I remember it was, an, it was a banger. I loved it. It yeah. made me feel so good. And I used to like drive around in my car and be picking up all my friends and I would have Save It For The Bedroom absolutely blasting out. And I just thought, you know what? I just like this band. Yeah, I'm quite jealous. I I feel like I really forced myself to miss that scene because my partner dragged me to see see them at download and they were amazing and bring me the horizon i refused to listen to them for years and now i like yeah. non-stop listen to them and like two incredible bands yeah so it's it's quite disappointing <laughs> that i missed out on all of that scene just because thankfully yeah. they have a back catalogue that you can access <laughs> thankfully <laughs> this is where spotify yeah, is kind of yeah. okay <laughs> 
No, I completely understand that. I do remember at the time the perceptions of those around me and I was um, working with a band at the time when that music came out, when You Meet Six came out. And they had a very, they were very emo. There was two singers, um, a girl and a boy singer. It was heavily influenced by a trio at the time. Um, and yeah, it wasn't for them. They were too cool. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't care because actually this is, I really like them. So after you came to me then talking about the podcast, going through everything that Josh had said, this is when we started kind of brainstorming and we realised we kind of had really similar narratives like really similar ideas um you definitely came from more of a perspective of like being seen as the consumer and yeah having that relationship with the artist mine came from a place of having a relationship with other fans yeah definitely and then having that like layer of like authenticity maybe questioned of being a fan yeah I think that's something that we've definitely started to explore isn't it like what makes an authentic fan and we realize that that question is huge it's fully loaded as a question but very much heavily associated with a lot of masculine traits yeah absolutely which is yeah really really interesting and it does it does add a lot of complications to how that women are treated into these physical spaces online spaces as consumers the way the market is targeting um fangirls um and it's always bringing that attitude of the kind of less than yeah they are being belittled they are being devalued um and they're not being as appreciated or respected for their cultural power which is definitely the conclusion that we kind of made to um so it kind of it brings us to the question of like okay so what is a fangirl then i think like a good place to probably start off is okay so what's a fan a fan is something that we can look at being should be a gender neutral term yeah it should be it's about having an object of affection so having an affection to a particular person or a product or an ideology perhaps it's about then having this idea of gratification yeah so we are showing that we are affectionate to somebody oh something there's also this level of like what type of relationship that is or how we show that gratification which could be positive and yeah. you could be a true fan or we could be negative which means you're an anti-fan yeah um, but still interestingly on that fan oh spectrum, i love talking about anti-fans <laughs> i can talk about anti-fans all day long forever <laughs> honestly they, it's just it's amazing it's an it's an amazing sort of phenomena yeah it is it is very interesting it's interesting how a lot of people play on it um so but with the spectrum of the fan there's like some very specific things that qualify you in being a fan when we apply that to a fangirl yeah that gender neutral objective perspective is gone yeah absolutely so when we're thinking more about fangirls and I would ask listeners to picture what a fangirl looks like Mm -hmm. I think there's some set criteria really Um, when we're thinking about fangirls there tends to be a lot of emotion involved as well Um, that's pretty much seen as a negative display Mm -hmm. of emotion even when it's done for very positive reasons obsessive hysterical usually hyper feminine and very youthful are very like two massive criteria in that which we'll go into why that's problematic and sexist um but on the surface straight away we can tell you that is sexist um and the other things are it's not only seen as a verb so you are in the process of being a fangirl Mm -hmm. the same as i am a fan like i'm fanning out about something but it's also seen as an adjective so it's used to label someone, it's used to describe somebody, and that description is usually 
has negative undertones to show a very clear idea of what society thinks a fangirl is and therefore what they think women are as consumers. And fangirl can also be applied to men Mm -hmm. who seem to be overly involved in something or um, overly invested into an artist. And personally, I wouldn't see that as a negative thing, but always with that oh absolutely yeah girl. i literally remember going to download and my brother turned around to me oh who was the band oh i cannot remember the band for the life of me oh i think it was metallica oh, okay i think it was metallica no did metallica play last year yes producer okay. joe says yes <laughs> producer joe says yes um yeah so metallica played last year my brother turned around to me um then i turned up the day afterwards um and he was literally like all the fans were acting like crazy Beyonce fangirls. I was like, good for what? them. <laughs> Hell yeah, what? good for them. He was like, it was just so weird seeing grown ass men being crazy Beyonce fangirls. I was like, oh, you've just, I'm saving that. <laughs> but I don't know um, if you saw over the past few days, um, is it, I want to get the name right. But it's Travis Kelsey's brother. Okay. I think it's Jason. I will have to fact check that. But he is at a NFL game where the Chiefs have played. Taylor's in like the audience as well. She sat in the box with Cara Delevingne. And his brother is just like full on shit out, like hands in the air, just like going hard for his brother at this NFL game. Um, And I would... That's fine. Everyone's like, oh my God, he's yeah. so cute. He's oh so my God, passionate. he's like the nicest guy ever. <laughs> you know, look how amazing he is. And he picks up this child and shows the sign to Taylor. Oh, oh what a sweetheart. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, he is all of those things. Yeah. Not to take that away. But also, if I took my top off at any public event and started picking up children and mm. waving signs around, I wouldn't get the same response, but I would be displaying the same sort of actions. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Um, so we are looking at something that is about performative act of consumption. It is, it's very much labelled as something that is feminine, therefore has a lot of sexist undertones, yeah. but just as you said, it can be applicable to any genders um, and it's just kind of used as a very much a derogative term yeah absolutely yeah so it's it's really interesting to have to start examining that to start examining that research and how it, it is impacts it and practically. one thing i've literally just realized as you're talking about that and explaining that and i think from 18 months ago when we first started talking about this these ideas of what it is to be a fangirl and you've just described it as derogatory and i thought no that's like the best thing ever and i'm like yes okay it's worked okay so we're, we're on it like it feels like you know we are reclaiming that power like that's yes. what we want to do absolutely yeah. we want it it's not a dirty word like i yeah absolutely. i love being a fangirl i feel a sense of vulnerability if i was to ever meet josh from you me at six mm-hmm. but that's just because from my perspective he's been there for every yeah. emotional moment of my life whether he <laughs> wanted to be or not um but that's why we love the artists that we love, right? Mm. They play such an integral role in our life experiences. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I think it's a really good place to start from to say that actually this is empowering. It isn't something that should 
come with shame it isn't mm-hmm. something that we're we're not going to discuss it from that place of it ever being bad whether we're applying it to um male or female or mm. however anyone identifies but there are certain things that make it problematic to an outsider someone who isn't thinking about all the repercussions of actually it kind of sucks if a band or an artist uses you to build their career yeah and when they get far enough they don't want to hear from you yeah you know they want to see you at the show and they want you to buy the merch but they don't want to hear from you anymore because that's not okay Mm -hmm. um and even in some cases they don't even care if you're at the show yeah no absolutely and the same goes for little fans as well like it's yeah we don't want to be associated with fangirls we don't want to have that relationship well you just think about how swifties are talked about online yeah no absolutely yeah cultural power of swifties yeah absolutely like we're we're seeing such a new era for fangirls the use of tiktok especially has really set the precedent for how fangirls can now communicate their authoritative power within popular culture to such a point we're having such an impact on the market on live touring um i'm sure we'll go later like down this road later on in other podcasts but i don't have you seen saltburn i haven't seen oh okay right it's not as like crazy as people keep hyping it up to be. Okay, like it's pretty dirty. I mean, it's a I, bit weird. I mean, I know I've heard about the bathtub scene. Right. Okay. Great. Bathtub scene. That's the one that I need you to know. So they are now selling candles. Oh yes, with I the saw bathtub this. Yeah. scent. Just because they recognised mm-hmm. the TikTok market, which is filled with fangirls, mm-hmm. yeah. and knew that we they would be. like a that's an easy consumer that they can now engage with and it is because of tiktok there's cons and pros in that statement right there which we'll get into another time but it's really clear now to see how much cultural power they have yeah how much they're they are starting to be heard maybe not with as much depth or as positivity and empowerment as we would like but they're being recognized which is a massive game changer but the issue is it's now on the verge of exploitation. Yeah. That's where it's going to be really difficult to manoeuvre during this new era. Yeah, absolutely. Again, because we want to be seen, we want to be heard, we have um, valid expressions of our mm-hmm. emotions. But again, at whose profit? Yeah. Um, and it's not always bad. I think one of the things when we start looking into um, fan studies and when we start thinking about consumer culture and artists, there is always a line. Artists do need to make money. They do need to live. They mm-hmm. should be paid for their art. What we don't want to see happening is um, building that sort of power and then completely dropping yeah, the people that absolutely. got you there. Um, and I know, I know we can talk about this definitely in future episodes where we could talk more about consumerism yes. um, and artists. But I think it's really important to identify that we're not saying it's not okay to make money. Yes. We're saying it's not okay to do that off sort of like the love and the investment mm-hmm. um, of someone else and then quickly change your yeah. marketing tactics because they're no longer seen as viable anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So going off of now, we've had like a solid conversation. Okay, what is a fangirl? What is a fan? Let's get into some juicy stuff. Okay. What was your first? First, let me ask that question again. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first ever fangirl experience? 
What made you go, oh, I'm, I'm a fangirl. I'm a fangirl. So I have a really prominent memory of seeing Bon Jovi in Hyde Park back in 2004. Mm-hmm. So I think at the time I was 16. Now, I I liked Bon Jovi. I was brought up on Bon Jovi. My mum liked Bon Jovi. My mm-hmm. auntie liked Bon Jovi. Uh, and then, sort of by extension, my cousin Lil, she loved Bon Jovi. She was obsessed with Bon Jovi. She was <laughs> the fangirl for Bon Jovi. Um, and she still is today. Um, and off that, we were like, okay, I kind of like them. You love them. We're going to go to Hyde Park. And so my auntie took um, three of us, uh, me and two cousins, mm-hmm. up to Hyde Park. And I just remember standing in that crowd and just feeling the energy from the thousands of people around yeah. me. And I had never, ever experienced anything like that. Yeah. And I was just absolutely hooked. Um, and I, it was such a transformative experience of I liked Bon Jovi. I went to their show. I loved Bon Jovi. Yeah. Um, and I've said Bon Jovi a lot, but they're worth <laughs> mentioning time and time again. If Bon Jovi um, is I'm, watching, maybe they would like <laughs> hey, to John, drop so, a sponsorship. Um, <laughs> I actually went to see, um, with my cousin Lil and a couple of my friends, um, Christmas time to see a Bon Jovi tribute called Wrong Jovi. And they were, oh my God, they were brilliant. They like, might as well it. have just been John oh, and Richie. and um just the whole crew but no it was it was really fun and but that was definitely a that was a transformative experience Mm -hmm. um and sort of set my life on the trajectory that it did where I wanted to work in in live events um but prior to that the first time that I was a fan of something was the Spice Girls I love it iconic and for the Spice, I wanted to be the Spice Girls. Yes. Um, and I didn't quite know which Spice Girl. Like some days it was Sporty Spice and some days it was Ginger Spice. Mm-hmm. Um, and my cousin Lil was always Baby Spice. Um, but I was like, ooh, Baby Spice. That's a lot of pink. Like, <laughs> We're learning our ways. <laughs> I was like eight. We're fighting the internalized like, no, misogyny. Yeah, even at eight. Like, where do I get that from? I was. Like, but then having said that, like, Jerry Halliwell was the... Yeah, she was very over-sexualized, wasn't she, in her mm. role as Ginger Spice? Yeah. But it was either, like, Jerry, who I did think was just, like, she was so beautiful. Yeah. Like, And also, no shade to Emma Bunton, because I love Emma Bunton as well. It was just, you know, it's just marketing. Oh, I would have been posh. And I was eight. Ah, okay. I would have been posh. I never quite got <laughs> posh until she was, like, Victoria Beckham. I think and now that's she's... probably because... I would have grown up when Victoria Beckham was kind of becoming more Victoria yeah. Beckham. And I was like, I'm sold. I'm sold. When, were the, when were the Spice Girls around? Like, mm. 97, 98? We have to fact check that. But I was like, yeah, I was Victoria like got married in 99. Oh, did I she? Believe. Trying to remember the Beckham documentary I watched. That's now. what I'm trying to remember now. I, all yeah. I can think about is their purple outfits, the purple Oh, stunning. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> What a pop culture <laughs> moment! I used to want her hair so bad. Then. Yeah, always wanted her like, hair. I want, I want to. Be, I like, actually I did have the <laughs> little did pixie cut. It was not good. Again, me and my cousin. So, like, we grew up as close as sisters. So, um, I think for every fangirl endeavor, we've certainly been together doing it. I love it. But um, I love that. Yeah, I loved the Spice Girls. I wanted to be the Spice Girls. I had a little group with my friends in the schoolyard and we were like basically the Spice Girls. I love that. Um, and I got to see them at Wembley just before Jerry left. Oh. And yeah, that was... Oh, and you could collect things. So 
the way that you could co- you can collect like FIFA stickers. Yeah. You sort of had like a collection of oh, I love um, six by four photo prints, and then you could put them in a photo album, and there was like series one and series two, and then oh, they had the great. Spice Girl dolls, and then you could have the Spice Girl lollipops, and just um, oh, and then the Spice Girls like movie came in like um, <laughs> a, you could have different tins with the girls on. Yeah. And yeah, just Spice and Girls. And now they're doing Spice Girl. They do a Spice Girls stamps. <laughs> and I have Spice Girls stamps because I definitely bought them. Get them. I bought them and they were they delivered the other day. Are you ever going to use them or are they just going to sit? Oh no, they're, they're going to go and collect as well, aren't they? <laughs> I'd be way too scared to, I would be way too scared to use them. Uh, I'm sorry, but cute. I don't send letters. So they're just going to like stay in the house. They're just going to stay. No one's allowed to breathe on them either. Oh, I love that. Absolutely love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but what about you? So what about your um, early fangirl experiences? Um, it's really mine's like completely different for some reason i miss the girl band boy band thing i don't remember anyone being as prominent a thing yeah. my dad always goes no there was a boy band you like but cannot for the life of him actually name the boy band that i was supposedly into and i'm like okay. i don't think i was dad um but he claims that i was but he just doesn't know who it was yeah um i, I have no record i i cannot remember being yeah into girl band boy band it wasn't music that was like my first fangirl experience it was harry potter oh okay so like completely opposite my mum used to read me the books me and my brother she used to read us the books i remember i think we were on holiday and it was definitely hallows and she made us wait in line for the release um which i loved that was very fun i have no first hand experience of this (laughs) just so you know i miss that (laughs) but yeah so harry potter was always always such a thing for me um and then my dad would be really into the books and then i've got three brothers and one of the brothers was obsessed with harry potter yeah. to the point right he'd watch goblet fire and it's he goes underwater harry okay. um, and he holds his breath to listen to the golden egg and it has like a a song that gives him a riddle to one of his quests this makes complete sense <laughs> <laughs> and my brother was so obsessed with the scene he used to he would jump into the swimming pool whenever we go on holiday okay. or like any pools or the bathtub and he would just put himself underwater hold his breath eyes wide open just to kind of react to that scene to the point it was like you are gonna oh you are I mean I loved that for him until like it was like you need to breathe that now. was yeah intense but he he was the one that was like yeah very okay he was really cute and obsessed that was fine his obsession mine was i would collect the posters i would collect lots of fan art like i was obsessed with fan art and fan fiction my friend was then also into harry potter so we would do lots of marathons and i always remember that we would play mums and dads but it was harry potter version okay and i would fall in love with harry she always fell in love with draco always draco who's she likes the bad boy (laughs) i know that one um so like that that carried on my dad was into the films brother was into the films mum was into the books and then i got to my 18th and my aunt was also really into them and she took me to harry potter world so that was like an ongoing fango experience for me um not so much now because i do have beef with jk rowling yes um and it it breaks my heart it's really hard but like i just can't support her anymore for her values and beliefs um but that was definitely like a really prominent fangirl journey for me and then the other one was twilight ah twilight definitely twilight which my aunt got me into twilight she was like you need to read this book 
And then it just happened that my friend who liked Harry Potter had also read the Twilight books. And we would then go do all the premieres. And then me and my mum and other aunts did the premieres. We actually did one where we had to go watch it at midnight. Oh, okay. And we did the whole... It was Breaking Dawn Part 2. Um, and we did the whole like movie marathon in the cinema and we had to oh, wear wow. PJs and you stayed up the whole yeah. night and it was amazing. Um, but that was kind of like the catalyst for me getting into music yeah. because the soundtracks were yeah amazing. So <laughs> <laughs> then I was like, oh, I'm really into this music. And it was the first time I was listening to music that was my yeah. choice, not my parents. Because yeah. we're really close. They inspired a lot of my music, uh, my music taste and influence. But that was the first time that I was like this is my it's so interesting that you've just said that and I'm like was you me the you me at six like the first band that I went no that's mine yeah and wasn't just like given to me yeah through like osmosis I feel like mine was Paramore but like my dad did like Paramore but I was like it's not yours you don't get it I'm sorry (laughs) this isn't your thing (laughs) it is an emergency but it's not yours (laughs) so yeah it was definitely Harry Potter and Twilight moved me into lots of music um and lots of things, yeah, sprung up since. There was one musical fangirl experience that I had that was live. And that was, went to go see Shinedown. It's my first ever concert. Yeah. It was O2 Academy. Mum and Dad took me. Hellstorm was playing. And the first band was Liberty Lies. Never heard of them. No idea of any of their songs. They were kind of like Blackstone Cherry yeah. with a, a bit of, I don't know, I haven't listened to them in so long. Maybe like poppy punk kind of vibes aesthetics yeah. um, but they were out in the lobby and they were chilling and I was like oh my god it's Liberty Lies <laughs> I've just seen them and they were great so my dad took me over and they signed my um, I bought a CD or something and they signed that for me and then I was just talking to them we were just chatting yeah. and I was just like oh my god I'm just so cool now <laughs> <laughs> I'm friends with the band and that was like oh god <laughs> that like as you're talking about that and I'm trying to think about my own experiences I feel both like excited and also like incredibly nervous because I don't think that feeling of like of like meeting an artist of like seeing someone that you like even if you've not known him very long Mm. like just seeing them in person um yeah I can't I honestly like I feel like I can't do it I just there's not a lot of people that I like that I will like even if and I'm like I know you're human (laughs) Like, actually, I was thinking the other night about my experiences of doing, like, artist liaison, and I remember, and I I, I don't know whether this is, like, really embarrassing. It is. I'm going to say it anyway, because we're, we're, this is a safe space. Um, we can talk about these fangirl experiences. But I absolutely loved We Are The Ocean. Yeah. And I, for some reason, was putting myself through, you know, kind of as you fall asleep and you think about think about every time you've been embarrassed. And I remember oh, I doing artist this. liaison at a festival um, and I, it's a simple task. I just needed to get them to the stage on time. It's ve- very, very simple. But I had to take them from the green room to a stage that wasn't like next to the green room. So I ended up speaking to them as I'm walking across this field and I have no idea what came out of my mouth because I was like, I was just too like, what do you say? <laughs> like, I like you. You're not you're just a band that's playing yeah. today. Like, you're a band that I like and I, oh my God, it's just, it I cringe every time I think about it. Yeah. I can't remember what they asked there was some confusion in something I said and I was like please just the world (laughs) please just don't do so I try to avoid avoid bands that I like yeah I'm trying I don't think I've ever met like the closest I got was I was front row for Florence and she held my hand (gasps) and I cried yeah and my mum was with me and my mum took me and I was like 
oh my god <laughs> like i was just oh god absolutely i was like i need to let you go but i don't want to You're like, get, get down get down and <laughs> stay with me oh my god it was amazing um and i get well i met emily sandy last year but oh, that yay. was so uh, yeah we i interviewed her for international women's day um but that was I was so calm and it wasn't until afterwards that I was like, yeah. I'm going to throw up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be You're sick. Like, okay, job to do first and then we fangirl. <laughs> so that was a very weird. Whereas I get mixed up and I'm like half fangirl, half, can I take you to this festival site, please? So going off of our own fangirl experience, it's interesting to see that maybe there's a little bit of internalized misogyny there we're not going that deep into it right now it's just a nice little (laughs) discussion for us to have for our first and also like i'm talking about things that i like i i genuinely felt a little bit embarrassed about yeah um, i think that's the big one i felt really embarrassed about harry and twilight it's taken me years for me to open up like as an adult so i've got my friend amanda who was I oh, thank God I met her because she was the only person I knew who was yeah. like, I'm into Twilight. And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. <laughs> so she did her and my partner and um, another best friend of mine, they all did me a Twilight themed birthday party. And I was like, this is so cool. And I would never have anything like this because I've been so embarrassed to say yeah. anything. Um, it's really weird, isn't it? Well, it's the same way of... <laughs> If anyone knows me, they know that I love Disney theme parks. Yeah. Like, absolutely love them. But I am aware of the perception or even stigma of what it is to be, Mm. like, a Disney adult. Yeah. And I I swear, I didn't know this about my personality until I was 29. It surprised me. Mm. Um, But I just fell in love with the parks and the environment. And um, I don't want to go too in-depth about that, but it makes sense because I come from an events management background. Mm -hmm. Um, But even now, like, I post stuff to, like, my Instagram and I'm like, okay, I won't overdo it with the Disney content because, like... (laughs) people who follow me will stop and they're my friends so i'd <laughs> i'll just cool on the disney stuff yeah um but it's yeah there is some it makes you insecure there's an uncomfortableness yeah. sometimes in expressing the things that we love mm, i definitely remember there was one point like as i've grown up it's like i'm revisiting being a fangirl but from about 15 to about 26 i just really? stopped talking about it to people i very vividly remember a family member being like it's time for you to oh no down and like take this stuff down and i was just like oh i feel like i've been oh my god wounded. yeah <laughs> someone was... told me to do that yeah and it was just and we don't even like... want to see my dressing room <laughs> at the moment like i don't think it is a point when you grow up and you're like oh no one can actually tell me no now i'm on my yeah. own like no one can tell me no um and i think that's come back a lot but it's also i think the people around you that hype you up and find that community that support you that helps you find yeah, that definitely. fan girl passion again which i really love that we've got so many young girls who are doing that too such an like they're really fangirling like really fangirling hard and i think that yeah the online community for that is and it's been so nice as well to see um like young women come into some of our workshop sessions Mm -hmm. and being able to talk so freely about the things that they love yeah and we're just interested and want to know more or we're like oh my god yeah i love that too yeah i mean that definitely happened yeah (laughs) with our students when they were like oh we play sims and i was like oh my god (laughs) you know i came into work today and i said over christmas i've just been playing the switch and i was asked by a colleague like what games you play in and 
I was like, well, <sighs> it's Dreamlight Valley because obviously it's the Disney game. And again, I was like, like it's not cool. Do you know yeah. what? My village, my valley is amazing. Okay? <laughs> well, I've got the Tower of Terror. I've yeah. got the Haunted Mansion. Like, it's all going on. I just did 15 horse competitions today on did Sims. Did you? Yeah. 15. I am so Eat proud that. of you. <laughs> yeah. You try doing 15. Oh, but if, you know, I would I would be dramatic. I was going to be dramatic then. I'd be like, oh, but if I wanted to kill people on cards, and that'd be fine. But I just want to like farm for these minerals and <laughs> I just want to be a filthy gold digger. <laughs> And do the 100 baby challenge. <laughs> it's not hard. It's, not, it's all I want in life. <laughs> so as we go on, though, with the rest of this podcast. Yeah. So we're doing ours in season. So we've got four episodes for this yeah. season. And we're going to be looking at next. We're going to be looking at community. We're yeah. going to be looking at the purchasing power of fangirls. And we're also going to be looking at girlhood with fangirls. Yeah. Which is something that's become a big thing for us yeah it's sort of like it's a project within a project yeah. but actually like now is the time to talk about it yeah. and I think that there's so many different ways that we can look at it and so many different perspectives mm-hmm. as well and so I think over the first few episodes we're just kind of setting the scene trying not to like go too heavy with anything because we do both love the theoretical theories yes theoretical theories <laughs> because that's what theories are they're theoretical <laughs> so we're going to end each podcast with a what are we fangirling over this week? And we absolutely invite you guys to do that too. So whatever platform you're watching it on, if you can, leave us a comment. Um, if not, you can head over to our Instagram as well. Send us a DM. Yeah. We ask our viewers, our Instagram community, yeah. what they're fangirling over each week. So we love to hear what you're doing too. Um, but yeah, Danny, what are you fangirling over this week? Okay. I feel like I've talked about them a lot, but I'm going to say it again. I am fangirling over Yumi at Six. <laughs> but it's also, in this case, it's Yumi at Six and Def Havana because okay, they're going to be playing in oh, yes. Bristol in just like a few days' have time. Have you got your tickets? I do have my tickets. Oh my so my other half bought tickets for my birthday, so we're going to oh, go to that. Yeah, that's so cute. I know, because I text him and I was like, they have sold out. Oh. And he was like, it's a good job I bought them earlier then. And I was like, oh my yes. God, what yes, a dream. So I get to, like, because I love Def Havana as well, like, in terms of bands that have just like stuck with me over the years yeah. so I'm going to go and oh, I'm going to go that. fangirl and I'm sure you will see me putting TikToks together <laughs> of me just like absolutely fangirling of you mate six absolutely love that okay so Jess <laughs> what are you fangirling over this week Um. okay 30th of January the new Crescent City book is out which is the third book so it's Sarah J Mass. Sarah okay. J Mass does, uh, if you're on TikTok, have you heard of A Court of Thorn and Roses? I have not. Okay. I'm not on that side of TikTok. Okay, right. I'm into anything that's fantasy, basically. Okay. Um, especially fairies, fae. Okay. Uh, especially sexy fae. Oh, okay. <laughs> just I hear that's the best type of fae. <laughs> so uh, it's more than that. Sarah J Mass. oh, she's my favourite author. Um, her characters are so complex. The worlds are stunning. The romantic relationships she writes about are amazing. Um, my <laughs> our producer has just <laughs> he has just said it is porn. <laughs> it is not porn. <laughs> it's far more beautiful than that. Um, <laughs> what is that. I didn't see what that said. It's fairy porn. <laughs> Thank you for that, producer Joe. <laughs> no, it's great. So she has a court of thorn and roses, which is like. Um, a twist on Hades and Persephone oh, and their okay. relationship, um, but it's set in a fae world. She has 
Throne of Glass series, which is about an assassin okay. who is also a fey queen. Sorry if that was a spoiler for anyone, but it comes out in the first book. So We'll put a warning at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next series is Crescent City, okay. which is based in a kind of like modern utopia, but people are still vampires or fey and there's okay. like technology but still magic and but okay. basically in this third in this third book i'm so sorry no one actually cares <laughs> no, 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 no i care i care tell me tell me this third book is meant to be it's been a fan theory for ages and basically sarah has now confirmed it is that all of the series overlap oh okay and i've never been so freaking excited <laughs> in my entire life um but crescent city is dense that is one dense book. Okay. So you have to have like notes and maps and oh. all sorts to keep up with it because, yeah, it's one dense motherfucker. Wow. But, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited. glad you saw I wasn't sure how much we could swear on this and I don't know why. Yeah, no. I think it deserves that one. That's one big book. Okay. It's a big boy. Have you ever watched <laughs> True Blood? No. Oh, I think you'd really like it. So I've watched True Blood and it's vampires and fairies. Oh, okay. Although I'll the fairy bit might kind of ruin it a little bit for you. <laughs> they come along a bit later and it's like a bit of a twist. Oh, but okay. You will, I think you'll really like that. Okay. You like Vampire Diaries? Yes. It's a bit more gory and a bit more grown up than Vampire Ooh. Diaries. True Blood, yeah, check it out. Okay. The All guy's right. fit. Um, I don't know what his name is. He's the bad one. <laughs> it's always the bad it's one. It's always the bad one. It's always oh, the bad demon. one. It's the bad one and the court of roses yeah. as well. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so if you can let us know what you're fangirling about this week, and hopefully it's just as enthusiastic as we are about <laughs> our experiences. Um, but otherwise, we'd love for you to tune back in next week yeah. with our next episode. And yeah, that's it from us. This is our first podcast. It's been great. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's gone as well as I could have hoped. <laughs> We did okay. We did okay. We did okay. So, um, I do apologise. I will say at the end, I have a bit of a cold. So if my voice is a bit husky and breaking, that is why I will be better next week. <laughs> but just week. do Phoebe from Friends. Sticky shoes, sticky shoes. I almost died when I inhaled then because I was going to laugh. Oh, finished on another fandom. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, this is the Fangirls Podcast with Jess and Danny. And we hope you have an amazing one. And thank you very much for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs> Let me hear your fangirl join the fangirl revolution. Let me hear you scream. I want a contribution. We have power, so let's make a solution. Let me hear your fangirl.